What is up, night fans? Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. I'm Jeff Sharon, along with Eric Lopez. And, uh, man, all of a sudden, basketball falls away, and, and it's like it's like all of a sudden, there's not much going on here at UCF all of a sudden, right? It's weird. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's always yeah. in a unique time of year. We got baseball, we got softball, we got some news to talk about also that uh, that we've been dying to touch upon here on the podcast. And um, first of all, don't forget, you can uh, hit us up at blackandgoldbanneret.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret. You can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon and follow Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. Don't, you can also hit us up on Facebook and subscribe to this podcast and tell your friends. Leave us a rating on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio, who we're proud to be a part of. And um, let's dive right in, Elo, because, uh, it, well, the big news, we'll get to softball, we'll get to baseball, we'll get to um, – We'll get to a number of other things. Nothing really new on the taco fall front, but uh, oh, I almost forgot. Guest today, great guest, Brandon Helwig joins us once again from UCFSports.com, and we get to riff a lot about um, football in the spring. Spring games coming up in a little bit more than a week. Uh, also, talk about uh, what we're going to talk about here in a little bit, uh, which is UCF has a new conference mate, Eric Lopez, Wichita State, the Shockers. Uh, have announced that they are going to leave the uh, Missouri Valley Conference, and they are going to join the American as of July the 1st of this year. Um, obviously, we know how successful Wichita State has been in basketball, uh, particularly on the uh, men's side. Um, they have been... So I'm, I went through the records, and, and really it was quite uh, quite remarkable. Under Greg Marshall, their current head coach, they have won 25 games, at least 25 games, every year since 2009-2010. They've won 30 games three times. They've been to a Final Four. They've been to, uh, let's see, one, two. They've been to two Sweet 16s. They won the NIT back in 2011. Um, Under Marshall, they've been great. He actually took over for Mark Turgeon, who... um, had quite a bit of success um, at Wichita State. Wichita's been a very traditional basketball power, but they joined the American in all sports, which for them, I had it pulled up a second ago, but oh yeah, here it is. So for uh, Wichita, obviously they have basketball, uh, they have uh, um, basketball, men's and women's, they have baseball and softball, they have cross country, um, cross country and track for men's and women's. Of course, UCF has only track and cross country for uh, women, but uh, they also have golf. Basically, what they're doing is they're filling in the gap that's created by Navy because Navy is uh, is a football only member of the American. So if you kind of think about like there's School X over here and it's Navy for football and it's Wichita State for um, everything else. So, uh, but they joined the conference. And, uh, you know, overwhelmingly positive reviews, positive for, you know, Wichita State, obviously, moving up from the um, Missouri Valley, which I think you can say that 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 is certainly a move up to the American uh, from from the Missouri Valley and a a win for the American in that they get another basketball school. We talked about this a few weeks ago, Eric, about how I thought that the Americans been getting short shrift in terms of men's basketball. And I think Wichita State's going to sort of help to alleviate that. At least I certainly believe it will. What do you think on this? Uh, yeah, no, I think it was a good move. Uh, look, Wichita State has been tremendous under Greg Marshall. I understand some people are skeptical because, well, is how much of the success is Greg Marshall? 
you know, basically alluding that if he leaves, wouldn't that be the end of Wichita State? Well, first of all, you could say that about a lot of programs. Um, and Greg Marshall hasn't left to this point. I would argue that this is a sign that Greg Marshall's probably going to stay there. He's passed yeah. up on some jobs. He's making good money. Let's People don't realize he's making over $3 million at Wichita State. That's a basketball yeah. school first. There is no football. And I think what some fi- people don't understand is in college basketball, you're actually – some coaches prefer to be at a school where there is no football because that means you're the guy. You're the program. You're the face of the university. You get all the revenue. You get all the money donated. Uh, there is something to be said for that, and I think Greg Marshall is comfortable at Wichita State. They've been to a Final Four, so it's not like they're not yep. capable of doing that. They were a one seed. Where they've been a one seed, and they got screwed because they got Kentucky in the second round because yep. Kentucky got terribly underseeded. Um, and I think you know, and Greg Marshall spoke to our our friend Haley Alton at the uh, American Digital Network there on their side in the American Conference, and he acknowledged, you know, one of the reasons why they're doing this move is because in the Missouri Valley, you know, the league has dropped and it's been in decrease where they haven't had an at-large team come out of the Missouri Valley other than Wichita State in recent years. And they were really, they were kind of capped out and they were getting punished you know, I think this past year was kind of the clincher. They had this great year. Ken Palm had them as a top 10 team in the country, but yet the committee seated him very low. And they seated him super low in part, I think, because of the Missouri Valley. And they were down. So I think from Wichita State's standpoint, they join an American conference. And if they, they're going to be the favorites to win the American conference this upcoming year. And I think if they win the American conference, they're going to get respected more in winning the high seat. So I don't see Greg Marshall leaving anytime soon. And I think also it tells you from the American conference, it's a, it's a, it's a conference that's still out of Providence. And I think they've been very pleased with the success that it's had in football. In fact, maybe to some extent, maybe exceeded expectations. It has become the best football conference that's not a power five Mm -hmm. by far and yet the basketball has been up and down you know the first year that the american conference they had four teams they could have had a fifth smu got left out you had the magical run with uconn to win the national title uh with shabazz napier that year but also you know you had a year like this past year where ucf uh where excuse me had two teams make the field two and you know, with the television situation up in the air from the standpoint, you may not get more revenue out of television. You know, one of the ways you can get revenue is by getting a lot of teams into the NCAA tournament and performing well. Uh, there was a story out recently that the ACC has made over $100 million based on uh, in the last three years based on their team's performances in the NCAA tournament and how many teams they get into the NCAA tournament. So um, I think that there is concern about where the basketball conference is especially with connecticut having a down year and there's always been whispers about whether connecticut's happy in the american would you know would they rather just be in the big east in basketball which as you know there's more rival their the rivals are really all in the big east like uconn really doesn't have a legitimate rivalry right now in the american when it comes to basketball they're all in the big east or in the acc um so there's that issue uh, that you're concerned with and then you have programs like memphis which has in a decline, a steady decline, and, and there's questions with if it can come back up anytime soon. Temple's kind of a floater of a program. So, and then, you know, SMU has been really good the last couple of years, but we'll see how they do in the post Larry Brown era. So, you know, I think there's some questions internally about the league, and I think they feel that Wichita State 
with the brand and the respect they have get gathered nationally from college basketball uh, fixes some of that concern. Concerns have also about, um, you know, thinking back to um, the, the travel for the non-revenue sports. So your volleyballs and all that. First of all, actually, you know, they won the uh, Missouri Valley in volleyball last year, for example. They do have baseball and uh, they have uh, softball as well. They, um, I, I, talking to some of the folks that I know, um, they're, they're not all that concerned about the travel to Wichita because, you know, now they have a, now Tulsa is a travel partner. Wichita's, Wichita's not a small town. It's a pretty sizable town in the state of Kansas. Um, yeah, the question about, you know, can you get commercial flights out of there? Okay, fine. But, you know, it's, it's not, you know, you're not flying out to Hawaii. Okay. I mean, it's, it, it, I mean, it's in the Midwest. I think, I think everybody will be fine in that respect. I agree with you that it's a big win for basketball. Interesting that you say that you feel that there'll be a pretty instantaneous favorite um yes in 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 men's i know that they're that good but you think that uh even with the step up in competition that they're the odds on favorite in men's basketball i do because i think they're a legitimate top 20 top 15 top 10 team i think they're very good and uh, greg marshall they'll be good i'm not saying i'm not saying they're gonna breeze through the league okay i'm not suggesting that they're gonna but i i do think they're better than cincinnati i do think they're better than smu i think those are the three teams on paper and then you have UCF and Houston. If I had to make my top five uh, going into the season, those are my top five teams. And I know some people, UCF fans, are like, "Well, does this hurt UCF? And you know, does it does it break their bubble? Maybe they had a chance to win the conference and all that." The way I look at, it, and we don't see if UCF can get one or two games with Wichita State, that's going to help their RPI, mm-hmm. regardless. And, and yeah. that's. That's the most important thing that I think people are missing about this. Yes, you know, it, 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 it's going to improve the conference's RPI. And if it improves the conference RPI, I actually think it increases the chances if UCF plays well to get in as an at-large. Whereas, you know, look at this past year. <clears throat> you know, UCF had no shot to get into the NCAA. They were not talked about because their RPI was in the 60s and this or that. And, so, and people were just dismissing it. Well, if you have a Wichita State, if you're playing a game against Wichita State this upcoming year, for example, instead of a game against, I don't know, in East Carolina, well, that, that that's, an, that's a big difference from an RPI. And if, for people that don't follow the RPI, you're actually better off playing a Wichita State game, even if it means a loss, than playing like the worst team in the league that's 150 or 200 in the RPI and getting a win. That's how wacky the system is. So I think it helps the league, and if it helps the league, it helps UCF. And, yeah, you know what? UCF's got to, you know, it's an extra challenge. But I think Johnny Dawkins and UCF, that's how you're going to – that's how you get into the NCAA team is by playing the best teams. You're not going to backdoor into the NCAA tournament. So I, I, I think it's a positive from that standpoint, uh, from a UCF standpoint in basketball, uh, from a league standpoint. And, you know, again, I think the, the American – and plus you're weakening your the other conferences. That's a big blow for the Missouri Valley. Wichita State ha- is the face of the Missouri Valley. They don't have that now in the Missouri Valley. And I think the Missouri Valley is in danger of being a, probably a, now a, an automatic one-bid league. Yeah. And, uh, and, and who knows what the future holds for the other leagues. So I think, you know, Mike Oresco has said it. He wants to be a power six league. Well, you look in the basketball setup. You have, obviously, the Power Five conferences, ACC, SEC, Big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12. The difference is in basketball, you have the Big East, and the Big East has done very well for themselves. So 
you know, that's what the Americans competing against. And they want to kind of make up some ground there. And I think they feel they have with Wichita State, especially with some of the questions internally that they have. Interestingly enough, I think one of the sports that you really have to do also look out for with Wichita State, baseball. They have a very good yeah. well, baseball tradition out there. Um, probably the, the most famous Wichita State shocker there ever uh, the, the, in, in baseball. Joe Carter actually went there for three years and then came out after his junior year. But, you know, a couple other interesting names. Darren Dreifert was a longtime pitcher in the majors. Uh, Braden Looper went to Wichita State. Casey Blake went there. Um, you know, looking down the line, Eric Wedge went there. who's a manager now. Um, great tradition. Great tradition. Now, now, pitcher. Yeah, they're, right. they're pretty good on that respect. Now, they're great tradition. Uh, now, there is, you know, Wichita State hasn't been – what they were under Gene Stevenson, mm -hmm. you know, back in the glory days when they won the national title in 1989 and they were going to Omaha uh, pretty frequently, actually. Um, you know, they, they they made it to a super regional recently when Connor Gillespie uh, was their best player. But they haven't been the Wichita State program that they've been in the past. So there is a question. Can they get back to that or not? They have a very nice stadium, but it is a traditional program. That's very familiar in college baseball. Uh, they haven't really uh, been that program. It's kind of interesting uh, college, but you know, still, it's an, it's not. You know, they're certainly capable. Hopefully, to bounce back in that. I think the other big winner. I mean, you know, everybody's focused on men's basketball. And I get it. It's obviously popular and everything. So I, I get it. I think the other big winner, and I think you've probably been told the same thing. I think the other sport that's going to get the big boost from this is volleyball. Yeah. Wichita State's very good in volleyball. I think they've been a Sweet 16 team in the NCAA tournament in volleyball. They've been a powerhouse in the Missouri Valley. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a big boost in an American conference that's starting to get some respect finally in volleyball. When you and I have seen it, last year, this past year, was the first time that the American conference finally had multiple bids in the league with Cincinnati and SMU. You had UCF and Temple kind of knocking on the door. So now you add a Wichita State that should help their RPI. And, you know, now I think the American Conference in volleyball should be a consistent multiple bid league uh, every year with this addition. That's a big addition for them and getting Wichita State. It also weakens the Missouri Valley. Again, that's going to be a common theme here. And you mentioned it, um, you know, in, in other sports that people don't talk about, like volleyball, you know, a, a lot of times you had to go up to Tulsa and there was no travel partner. Right. So either, you know, and women's basketball to some extent had this issue. Um, so either you would have to come all the way back home or you had to go to like SMU or something like that to make up for it. Now, from a scheduling standpoint, you could go to a Tulsa and then go to Wichita State or vice versa. And, and a much more uh, decent type of a from a that standpoint so i think that'll help the volleyball i think volleyball is the second big winner in this one as we break down the other sports i think baseball remains to be seen if wichita state can come back to what they were then that's a boost for the league but you know you've covered the, the baseball conference i mean the conference is loaded as it is i mean it's very good right now actually it's actually i think again i think it surprised the league how good it is and i think softball now the interesting thing with softball wichita state uh, won the Missouri Valley last year, and they're currently in the 60s in RPI. Uh, in fact, they've beaten Tulsa this year, and that's a rivalry, by the way. Tulsa and Wichita State, they play every year in softball. They play in midweek. I'm sure they play in other sports, so they're close by. 
Um, in fact, I think that's going to be a natural rival for Tulsa now, don't you think, Jeff? I mean, I yeah, think that's going to be uh, – which I don't think people kind of – I think that's kind of been dismissed. You know, I think people dismiss that kind of stuff, but I do think it's important for the American Conference to develop rivalries. Certainly UCF and USF have done that with the trophy and all the sports they do. But you look across the board, who are the other rivalry games? And I think Tulsa, Wichita State, uh, that's going to help Tulsa, and that's going to help Wichita State. So I think that's a plus. Um, but for softball, now they go to eight teams in the league, a Wichita State team that's an up-and-coming softball program. It's in the 60s RPI as we recorded this podcast. They're the favorites to win the Missouri Valley again this year, so they're probably going to be in the NCAA tournament. I personally think the way they're going, I think they're a top-four, top-five team in softball. And again, that helps the softball league, again, boost its RPI and, and again, make it a multiple bid league. So I know it, it's, it's under the radar because all the focus is on men's basketball. And Mike Oresco mentioned in his teleconference, the Wichita State team just made the NIT in women's basketball recently. So they're not bad in women's basketball. So I actually think Wichita State helps the league across the board more than I think some of the outsiders think. I agree with you on that. And and by the way, you mentioned volleyball. How could they been? They've been they've won the Missouri Valley three of the last four years, including yeah. last season. Uh twenty four and eight last year in volleyball. A couple of additional notes on um Wichita State uh in particular. Uh, they gave up football. They did have football back in the day, but they gave it up in nineteen eighty six. Uh and uh, also their and and this is worth looking at, their branding. Um you guys probably remember this from when they were um, you know, making the Final Four, when they were a one seed, but their mascot is sort of a, 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 bundle of, a bundle of wheat dressed in a sweater with eyes and a mouth and a nose. His name is Wooshock. Um, for some reason all this time I thought his name was Jack Straw. But, by the way, if anyone gets that reference, please let me know. <laughs> so, any dice... No day. I'm, no. I'm I'm leaving you hang. I'm oh gonna leave you. Oh my god. Oh my god. All right. Someone all right. has to let me know that they got that reference immediately. Um. Anyway. All right. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk with Brandon Helwig. We're going to have him on the talk a little spring football. We're uh, a little bit. We're a little bit more than a week away from the spring game. Check and see how UCF football is doing. Uh, in uh, spring number two under Scott Frost. We'll talk a little bit more Wichita State joining the American from Brandon's point of view and a couple other things as well when we return. Stick around. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on! Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you. And uh, joining us here in just a moment will be our guest, Brandon Helwig. We had him on earlier this year to talk about um, the uh, UCF on National Signing Day and football recruiting and all that. And now we wanted to get him on here to talk a little bit about spring football and also talk about Wichita State joining the American 
from a uh, UCF perspective. Of course, Brandon, you can um, check out everything that he does at uh, UCFsports.com, which we are proud members of. Uh, and also you can hit him up on Twitter at UCF Sports um, as well. So no one is more plugged into UCF than Brandon. And uh, here it is, our interview from earlier with Brandon Helwig of UCFsports.com. Hey, Brandon, what's going on? I'm doing great. Uh, how are you guys doing? Good, man. Thanks for joining us on the show. Uh, I know we had you on before. We were talking about uh, um, we we're talking about uh, you know the, the recruiting and National Signing Day yeah. and all that other stuff that I can't stand. And um, <laughs> and, and now we're going to have you on to talk about another thing that well, I don't quite not stand, but you know, it's I think also gets overblown. That is spring football, and uh, it, it, not so much that you know. I mean, obviously, you know we all understand the value of it and try, trying to get, you know, players ready and all that kind of stuff and installing new things. And, um, you know, but, but UCF's practices are closed now. So, you know, all we can, all anyone can do, and I know that you do this every day, you know, you're waiting out there waiting for the guys to come back and whoever gets to talk. So um, based on what you have heard, how's the spring going for UCF football? Uh, well, you know, as you kind of alluded to, you know, we wait outside and wait for practice to end. And, you know, we got to choose who we talk to every day, talk to Coach Frost maybe once or twice a week. And just, you know, gleaning from what they're telling us, um, it seems like it's going well. I mean, I wouldn't expect anyone to say anything right. different. Yes, I don't think any can, coach can you imagine is going to come out to you and say, yeah, can, can you imagine someone coming up to you saying, man, that practice was awful and we should fold yeah. the football team right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that that said, you can kind of pick up on, you know, the body language and the verbal cues from some of these guys, and especially on offense where, you know, an area that, you know, frankly really struggled, especially towards the end of last season. Um, they had a scrimmage this past Wednesday and, you know, and, mm -hmm. and hearing what Frost had to say and all the different players that we talked to, um, you know, Frost flat out said that was the best day of, of, of spring that the offense has had, you know, maybe the best day period since they've had since they've, they've been there. I mean, we weren't able to see it. I mean, it's kind of hard to, to kind of relay, you know, how things went. But from, from what, you know, kind of Frost said and, and what some of the other people said is, you know, the offense kind of shows an attitude now, you know, a kind of a, a, a toughness and, and maybe a swag about them that, you know, last year they didn't have, you know, they're learning, learning the system, you know, and everything else. And, you know, I think, think the UCF defense kind of had that last year, you know, they were, they got things together and rolling earlier, early. They kind of had a, a different toughness and an attitude out on the field. The offense lacked that, but, you know, coach Frost said that was really starting to show, especially on Wednesday. It was kind of funny because he brought it up. You know, it was one thing when you, when we talked about, you know, going to practice for years, you always see, you know, it inhabits in football, you know, you know, little fights, you know, I don't you know, maybe fights too strong of a word, but, you know, it, it, it gets pretty competitive like scuffles, you know, skirmishes, you know, right. things like that. You get a push and a shove. You get a, I mean, both guys are wearing a helmet. Just they throw a punch. I mean, it's not like anyone's getting seriously injured, you know, stuff, stuff like that. You know, you see it. You're used to seeing it when you go to a lot of practices and and, and Frost, you know, brought it up, which to me was kind of surprising because you know, there's TV cameras and people that don't go to practices may mm -hmm. take that the wrong way. Yeah. You know, like, oh, they're, they're getting in fights. You know, chemistry must be bad. But he, he kind of mentioned that as a positive. You know, the offense is, is literally fighting back and showing an attitude. And it seemed like it starts with the offensive line. And, and that's something that these guys really didn't have last year. But no, and like right. I said before, yeah, we don't know, but from what they say, offensive line's a lot better. They're they're blocking a lot better than than they did last year. So, you know, yeah. maybe we'll see a little in the spring game to see if that's true. But and honestly, we won't really know till the season gets here. 
No, you're right about that. I know a lot of people are focused on the offense, but I'm intrigued more on the defensive side of the ball, which carried this team last year, lost a lot of personnel to young defense. I talked to actually recently one of the players on that defensive side of the ball, and you know they're telling me that some of the young guys are really stepping into the system quickly and, and really going to contribute uh, a lot of young guys. Uh, there's the kid Collier, I believe, is an early enrollee. I've heard good things about him from a player. Uh, what have you heard from the defensive side of the ball as far as some of the youngsters there? They're going to have to step in. Yeah, again, we don't know if it's coach speak or, or player speak right. or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, but you know, some guys will come out and admit and say, you know, they were a little bit, you know, concerned, you know, um, about the defense going into this spring seeing you know, the losses that they had. If you look at the back seven of the secondary and linebackers, um, that would be, uh, yeah, uh, seven out of the, uh, yeah, that's it. We had two graduating, three linebackers and four players. In the second. <laughs> Doing the math yeah, so I think we had seven players thing. graduated. <laughs> right. That's pretty much everybody except for Shaquem Griffin. Right. And uh, pretty much everyone, everyone graduated. Uh, that's a lot of experience to replace. And I think it's, I think it's seven of the top eight or seven of the top nine leading tacklers from last season, you know, but, you know, but there are players who have been waiting in the wings that do have some experience. You've got Trey Neal and, and Kyle Gibson playing safety. Um, and, and what Frost said the other day, those guys kind of look, you know, those, that position is probably more solid than the other ones with, you know, starting safety with uh, Neal and, and Gibson. It's the other spots are still kind of up for grabs. Uh, I know Eric, you just mentioned Antoine Collier. He was one of the three true freshmen that are on in January. He's one of the guys in the mix. Really, the best corner, I mean, frankly, is, is, is Neville Clark. And and he would, in, in any scenario, he'd say, you know, you can bank on him. You can pencil him right now as a number one. The problem is, is if you guys remember the report that came out a few weeks ago, he's one of the players, the other one being wide receiver Tristan Payton, that has to miss the first six games of the season due to an NCAA suspension. Mm-hmm from failing a drug test before the cure ball. So you have a guy that is a starter and is the best corner and the most experienced. Uh, so he, right from what we could see, we did get able to, to see a little bit of the Wednesday practice, well, the pre-practice. We were allowed for 30 minutes before the scrimmage started, but they were kind of doing some things on the field as we were leaving. I mean, he was still the number one corner. So that's kind of tough. It's like, what do you do? He's a guy that won't be available for the first half of the season, but you know he's going to be there eventually. So you know, you can kind of, you know, erase, take a pencil. Maybe you can erase that. So you're going to have someone like an Antoine Collier. You got a guy like Brandon Moore, a local kid from Seminole High School, red shirt last year. He's definitely in the mix there. And, and a new name that, you know, a lot of guys are mentioning that seems to be having a really nice spring. Another guy who red shirt named Richie Grant. He was playing safety uh, at the beginning of spring. And and I think, you know, because the maybe the two starting safeties a little, little bit more solid right now, they decided to move him to corner to see if he could compete for one of those spots there. So it'll be interesting to see how that kind of pans out, you know, um, going into uh, this season. And linebacker, uh, you know, it's, it's Shaquem Griffin. You know, and, and you could say he brings back a lot of experience. And, I mean, he does in the aspect that he played. And, yeah, he was the American Defensive Player of the Year and outstanding season. But that was really his only season that he's ever played. You know, So yeah. he's still in a lot of ways kind of learning the position and trying to hone his craft. And speaking of Shaquem, he looks – completely different you know if you put him and his brother Shaquille side by side you know two three years ago I mean they you know they look like the same type of player they had the same body type both one was playing corner one was playing safety but if you put them side by side now they don't even look like twins I mean they yeah, in the face they look like twins but but uh, Shaquem 
uh, last season, he said, we talked to him the other day, he said uh, this past season he played at 202 pounds. Right now, he's at 227. Whoa. And, he, and his brother, Shaquille, is at something like 194, I think was his way to the NFL Combine recently. So, you know, he he looks like a linebacker, you know. Maybe he didn't quite look like he looked more like a safety corner type player this past year. He looks like a linebacker. So if anyone sees him, you know, when they got the pads on and stuff, it's always hard to tell. But if you see him without the pads, there is a noticeable difference between Shaquem this spring and last season. So, you know, last year at this time, everyone was, and I think you touched upon this a little bit, you know, we talk about the learning curve, right? Last year at this time, everyone was still, you know, peeling open the new playbook under Scott Frost and his and, and, and both his offensive and defensive staffs and trying to figure out, okay, how do we run this new system? It's been 12 years since UCF has, has been in this situation where, you know, this is, you know, every, everyone now knows the system. And so now you can work on, on the fine-tuning of things. How are the players, from what, from what you can tell, you know, do they have, you know, that, that much less of a burden on them in terms of, you know, now they know what they have to do now. It's just a matter of, you know, working on their reaction and things like that. And then how do the coaches feel about, you know, is it easier for them to coach the players and they're not having to go back and, and, and rehash the basics? Yeah, I mean, when you, when you talk to the, the player, of course, they weren't going to admit it last year. But when you talk to the Juwan Hamiltons of the world, offensive coordinator Troy Walters, all kind of say it now that, you know, it's a lot easier now that they actually know what they're doing. I mean, Juwan Hamilton kind of laughed and he says last year he didn't had no idea what he was doing, really. I mean, you know, he had to be reminded in the huddle of different plays and, you know, just, he really didn't know what was going on and, and says and, and even I, I can't remember. It might have been Trey Neal, but it was a player on defense, I think, said this in the early spring. It kind of said something, you know, they, you know, how they came up with the little nicknames for the offensive defense, a UCF fast for the offense, UCF fierce for the defense. You know, it really wasn't UCF fast for the offense last year. I mean, that's where they want the offense to, to get to mm-hmm. is running at a high, high tempo, you know, getting a lot of plays off. Uh, one of the players on defense said, you know what? It actually feels like UCFS this spring because they're making the defense tired uh, with, with how quickly they were able to go. And, and that was something they, they really couldn't operate at that kind of pace last year, not when you know pretty much the entire offense was still learning what they were doing out there. But, you know, I'll be curious to see how they kind of conduct this this spring game. If, of course, you know, I'm sure they're going to, you know, they don't want to show too much. I mean, you know, coaches, and there was a reason practices were closed. It's out of coaching yeah. paranoia and, and prying yeah. eyes and whatnot. But I'll be curious to see what kind of temper they go at. And I am encouraged um, by a statement that Frost made the other day. He said, you know, they were, I asked them, you know, if they knew what kind of format they were going to. And, and, you know, I think, think the average fan might think, oh, you know, spring game, I want it to be like a, like a game, you know, with two separate teams and kind of see them square off. But, that's not that's really counterproductive to what you want to do in, in building a team. Uh, what it sounds like for us that they're going to do is they're going to leave the number one offense, number one defense, number two offense, and so on. They're going to keep those units uh, distinct and just have them face off like it'll be the one. Off. I mean, it, that's not that's you're going to get a false sense of maybe the offense is better. Than they are. They don't if they don't go against the number one defense, but it'll be like one offense versus two defense and so on. Yeah. But just to kind of keep those guys you know, together, you don't want to split up offensive linemen that you know, the five guys have been lined up next to each other all spring. And then all of a sudden you're moving a guy in and out. You have, you know, different running backs, different receivers and whatnot from the rotations they've been playing. You don't really want to do that. It's kind of like a wasted day. If you, you only have, you know, the spring games, your 15th practice. So, 
it sounds like they're going to do that. So uh, knowing that they're going to do that, it'll be interesting to see what kind of, kind of tempo they, they go at uh, next week for the spring game. Brandon, in your years going to the spring game, are you more interested in seeing certain returning players that seeing how they look at it, or are you more interested in seeing the new faces? What What's kind of your philosophy when you go to the yeah, spring I mean, game? It's kind of different because when, if you would ask me this a couple of years ago, I'm like, you know, I don't, not that I don't care, but the spring game to me was the most meaningless day <laughs> out of 15 days of spring practice. If you go every day, okay? Yeah, now, if right. that's the only, the only thing you're going to go to, you're going to, you know, overanalyze everything. But, you know, when Coach O'Leary was here and every practice was open, you know, you, you know, and I'd be there, you kind of just, you know, kind of look back at the entirety of the spring and you don't, make a big deal out of one one specific day and you kind of have that context when you know you feel like you know the team when you see them practice that's that's kind of what we're lacking is media uh, in this regime under frost you know you don't really feel like you have a good handle of you know the team and you know what the players can do it, it's kind of hard to get a feel for how coaches interact with players and things like that that you, you know you kind of took for granted in some years so you know, if you asked me a couple of years ago, the spring game, it's like, eh, whatever, you know, whatever happens. I just you know, hope it's not too hot out there. You know? Right. <laughs> hope, no one, hope no one gets hurt. And that was kind of my attitude. But yeah, and we're going to over that now. We're going to overanalyze everything. And, you know, maybe offense will have a great day, defense, you know, whatever, you know, whatever happens is kind of what everyone's going to remember about this spring. And it may not be indicative of what happened in the other 14 practices. So yeah, I don't know. I will, we'll see what happens, but you know, I'll just kind of know in the back of my head, you really can't read too much into seeing one day and, and knowing that, you know, they're really going to, you know, try to be as vanilla as possible. Cause I said, you know, coaches by nature are incredibly paranoid and they don't want to do anything. They feel is going to give anything away. I mean, they're probably thinking, you know, representatives from the opponents are going to, you know, be in the stand or something. I don't know what they think, but you know, knowing that, <laughs> we won't see the the full offense or, or or defense switching gears to something that i that i think is actually really interesting and I was curious to, to know about what you think about this so wichita state joining the american athletic conference uh beginning july the first uh of this year we know how good that their basketball program has been of course they were one seed of the ncaa tournament uh not all that long, not all that long ago, they joined the American as a non-football playing member, coming over from the Missouri Valley Conference. Um, initial reviews of Wichita State joining the conference uh, seem to be overwhelmingly positive. Um, you know, especially from a basketball perspective, they gave up football back in 1986. But um, wh- what do you think about this? What do they? I, I'm. Int- I mean, we know how good they are in basketball, but. What else do they add to the American that uh, that that makes this worthwhile for the conference and for UCF in particular, in your opinion? Yeah, you know, I don't not that I'm like against the move. I, I don't know if I really have strong feelings either way. Um, when I look at Wichita, where they're located, yes, you can say they're within the American footprint, not too far from, from Tulsa, but you know, this is a spread out league and Mm -hmm. just knowing, you know, what some of these sports teams have gone through from a travel, you know, basis, you know, particularly I'm talking about men's basketball when, you know, you're flying out, you don't have charters like, you know, a lot of these teams in the conference do. And, you know, like they had a situation where they played a game at Tulsa, I think like on a Saturday afternoon or something, they had like a one o'clock game. And because, Tulsa is a city with, with really limited air service, at least, you know, when you compare it to the Houston's and, and Dallas's of the world, 
they couldn't get a flight out. They had to play a game at one o'clock. Their game, they were out of the arena by four, and they had to, you know, stay that whole night and then wait till the next morning to leave. And so you kind of, you, you know, you know, the team has to go through experiences like that. You know, unfortunately, for the most part, they, they, you know, it didn't seem to really hurt them uh, this year. But those things can can catch up to a team trying to compete for an NCAA tournament. That's not exactly related to the Wichita's. You just hope that. You know, UCF Athletics is in a better position to charter flights this upcoming season. When you know, you, who knows what the schedule is going to be like? That all that's to be determined. You know, who UCF plays twice, who they play. You know, only at home, only on the road. You know, maybe UCF won't even play at Tol- at Wichita. I imagine out of the two, you'll probably at least have a game at Tulsa between Tulsa and, right. and Wichita. So knowing that, you know, I you know, just kind of wondered, does this help UCF now that you know, mainly looking from a men's basketball standpoint? You're going. This is going to be the highest expectations of any UCF basketball season in history. Where you know every team every year, oh, what are the goals? Oh, we want to make the NCAA tournament. It's always what a team's going to say. But this is a year where you know if Taco comes back, you know you feel that's a realistic opportunity to do that. And you know Wichita, in theory, should strengthen the league and and help RPIs and all that. But then you kind of wonder, well, is it a situation where UCF was a you know third? maybe third or fourth best team in, in the league, are they just going to get bumped because all of a sudden, you know, Wichita is, is in there and obviously will be the preseason, not only a top 10 team, obviously preseason uh, team to win the conference. So, yeah, I don't know. I, and I just kind of wonder how much their success is tied to Greg Marshall. I mean, I know things mm-hmm. are going well now, but, you know, if he were to leave in the next, next you know, couple of years, was it really worth adding a team um, out in the middle of, of Kansas, you know, with the travel and, you know, baseball is going to have to make that trip. Softball, um, I, I don't know, but from what I understand, it, it can't hurt right now. They're not going to bring any more immediate money to the conference outside of potential NCAA tournament credits they could pick up. But you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. It'll be fun. It'll be another you know game you're going to circle on the schedule next year. But yeah, you know, I don't know if I'm really excited, and not that I'm against it, but I, I wouldn't say I'm really excited about it either. Yeah, I, I mean, they do provide Tulsa with a travel partner out there, and a couple of the folks I talked to said, you know, I mean, the travel, the, the travel that they said, the the travel's kind of a breeze. It's it's not going to be that much of a that much of a problem. You're just driving along, you know, flat expanses. I mean, and the other thing that I thought that was interesting is they kind of fill a hole, they fill the non-football hole that Navy provides. You know, Navy's in the American for football only, and. Wichita basically comes in and, and fills the holes out of the out of the rest of that. Now I thought that, you know, from a basketball perspective, Eric and I talked about this before, is that I thought that I, I always think that the American gets short shrift when it comes to the men's basketball program, especially come, you know, tournament selection time, even though I even though I don't think it should. I think it's a better basketball league than than I think most other people do nationally, and I think it's getting better. Um, do you think that you know that, that this provides enough legitimacy, or is it kind of, you know? Because I I was also concerned about what you what you just mentioned that you know Greg Marshall he's around for you know I mean let's say he decides to move somewhere else you know we know how fleeting um, you know athletic success can be particularly you know um, even a team that as good as Wichita State is I mean look at what look at George Mason when um, when Jim Laranega was there. And then all of a sudden he leaves and goes down to Miami and, you know, George Mason's George Mason again. So, um, I, I mean, I don't know. Is, is it, you know, do you think that this does help out the conference profile when it comes to uh, tournament time or maybe not? 
Uh, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, I just, you know, like I you kind of mentioned before, if you go back and, and look at, you know, and, and I'm not trying to dish Wichita State at all. They've, they've built a fantastic program, obviously. They get great fan support in their arena. But if you look at, at their basketball success, it is largely tied to Greg Marshall. Right. Um, you know, it's basically, you know, really all of their NCAA tournament appearances, or the vast majority have come in the, you know, 10 or so, um, or less, actually less than that since he's been in, in Wichita. So you're kind of concerned from that standpoint and, and kind of, break, you know, breaking up the continuity of, you know, I know Navy is a special case being football only, but, you know, bringing in a school that doesn't play football, which to me, you kind of wonder, well, if you're you're kind of dipping your toe in the water a little bit with Wichita, you know, why don't you go all out and maybe go after a Dayton or a Virginia Commonwealth, uh, you know, VCU, and kind of go to 14. You're not going to play football, mm-hmm. but that'll make a very compelling basketball conference. If you know, you're not going to, you know, match up head to head with the ACC, but in some ways, it's that model where you got a lot of schools. Uh, a lot of, you know, traditional uh, basketball schools. You see what the ACC was able to do this past year in getting teams in. You know, if you were to kind of go the extra mile and, and add those kind of teams, you know, perennial NCAA tournament teams, the American go, you know, from a league that did get in four this past year, only got in two teams. Would that maybe get you to a situation where you're maybe getting in a six mm-hmm. teams a year? You know, in a really good year, could you get seven? You know, if you had a 14-team league? Um, I don't know. I, it's something I don't think they're going to worry about right now. I mean, there's a lot of other considerations. There's a TV contract they're going to have to negotiate. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, yeah, next couple of years. I don't know if there's any more money. The landscape could completely change even, you know, as we stand right now with, you know, you know the online, uh, the Netflixes and the Amazons of the world kind of getting in the mix. You know, maybe Turner could be a player on the television side. There's a lot kind of remains to be seen. So that'll be the biggest consideration here is, is kind of structuring the American, you know, to on that television side when they negotiate again with ESPN. And I know there's, that's a discussion for another day, but yep. I kind of wonder, you know, if you've already gone on the, the Wichita route, you know, maybe, you know, now that you've done it, maybe you should, you know, consider, you know, going to going to it a little bit more with Dayton and uh, Virginia Commonwealth. Well, Brandon, and I kind of agree with you. That's why I don't necessarily think, I mean, not necessarily saying that they would do that maybe in a year or two, but, you know, it's been talked about well in depth about, the future of college athletics as a whole. And Mike Oresco, you know, and, and you know, we, we've both heard him talk and, and talk about the power six. And one of the ways you can become a power six is if you weaken some of the, you know, your competitors. I mean, by taking Wichita State, they weaken the Missouri Valley. If you take a Dayton and a VCU, you're you're weakening the A-10, for example. And um, and I think, my, and let's be honest, their, their offices are still in Providence and there's still some of that Big East feel. They, you know, they, I think everybody maybe deep down internally, maybe they're a little surprised how good the football has been. And I think they're a little, they, they thought the basketball would be at a higher level than it's been. So I think that's part of the, the reaction with Wichita State is they, they definitely believe they want it to be a powerhouse basketball league uh, in the country. And I, maybe, you know, I, I, if I'm the American, you know, I, I don't want to say I'm concerned, but you, you kind of look at, at some of these teams, you know, UConn. Had their first losing season and you know forever this year. Uh, that's kind of the concern. I know they had some in, some injuries and whatnot, but there's some you know that's pretty much your flagship team in in basketball. So right. you're kind of worried there. You see Memphis is really imploding, 
and what's yep. going to be the se- second season coming up under Tubby Smith with you know players <laughs> leaving left and right. The Memphis Lawson is brothers. becoming a so, football school. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah, they really yeah. are. And so they're not really going to be expected to be you know competitive. You know, I wonder even even this coming season. And and, and sure. Temple is Temple's always been there, but you know they they really kind of took a step back this year. And and you know SMU. You know, they really came out of nowhere, you know, to be thought of, you know, when they hired Larry Brown a few years ago to kind of be thought of as, as a good basketball school. I mean, it was, you know, when UCF played them in the early Conference USA days, I mean, you know, they weren't even putting a thousand people in that gym. They they redid everything. Larry Brown got them going with some of the recruits with, you know, in the Larry Brown way. And, and um, that Larry Brown way, way eventually got them on a postseason ban last year. Now he's gone. And you know, I know they have an excellent coach and waiting that took over, but you kind of wonder, can this be sustained? So, you know, some of the, the basketball powers that, you know, you thought you had when, when, you know, you, the American kind of, you know, rose from the big East ashes a few years ago, um, you know, you kind of wonder where that's headed. So then again, you know, maybe that Wichita state, you know, it's kind of insurance now, you know, you have a mm-hmm. team that, you know, in the short term is going to be very good. That makes up for a Memphis that's going to be down and, you know, maybe you start to think, you know, you see how the Wichita move goes. And as you start thinking about when you start to negotiate that next contract now, you know, basketball, as everyone knows, doesn't really add the big money to TV contracts just based on rating. It's always concentrated on on football. But, you know, maybe you could do it in a way where, you know, it really can't hurt to add a few more teams there. Because, you know, I don't know, I think if you if, if you ask me if, if they had to expand, I mean, I would I would prefer to see a basketball power versus diluting the the football side and just have too many teams that you never play, you know, you know, obviously in a 12 team league, you're not going to play everyone every year anyway, but you know, I don't like the 14, you know, plus, you know, teams in a league where, you know, only playing the team in the other division, like every some odd year and all that stuff, like the ACC and what was it like Wake Forest and North Carolina, they were never going to play each other. So they were talking about playing each other in a non-conference yeah. game or something crazy. Like that. <laughs> I would, I wouldn't want to see that. I know there's not a lot, not a lot of history and tradition, obviously, between these teams, but I, I really don't want to see a 14-team f- football league. But you know, maybe I wouldn't mind seeing uh, you know those additions come on the on the other sports side. All right, Brandon, what else are you working on that we can uh, that, that we can promote that we can help promote for you? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, spring football's in, in full swing. I was busy today, kind of wrapping up, uh, working on some interviews I've done the past few days. So that'll be going obviously for the next week um you know and 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 basketball it'll be interesting to see what kind of happens here with taco and and the nba draft and and you know what ucf does they do have a scholarship to kind of you know play around with uh what's your gut feeling on that what's your gut feeling do you think he stay you come back or are you you concerned that i think i think he comes back i think he comes back i think this will be a great opportunity for him to kind of understand the process for you know teams to become familiar with him and, and he'll kind of learn on some things he needs needs to work on but to me, if if you're not pretty much guaranteed to be, in my eyes, a top 20 pick, I don't see how, you know, and I, I don't know if he's going to, you know, hear what he's going to hear. But if, if you don't feel like you're top 20, I don't think it's too big of a risk, you know, you, to not be drafted or get drafted late in the second round and nothing's guaranteed. I, I, you know, I think it's 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 a huge risk. And if he doesn't hear he's top 20, he should come back, which I think is what's going to happen. Boy, from your lips to God's ears, huh? Because <laughs> it's, uh, okay. I mean, you know, you're right. I, I, I mean, we both have talked about this before. And, you know, he, I think he still does have a lot to work on, particularly on offense. But 
Um, it'll be fun. Hopefully, we'll find out uh, sooner rather than later. Brandon, where can uh, folks reach out to you? Uh, UCFSports.com is uh, the name of the site. Uh, UCF Sports is where I can be found on social media, Twitter, and whatnot. Uh, yeah. Cool. And we are proud members of UCFSports.com, too, Brandon. So thanks for taking time for us. We appreciate it, man. And we'll see you probably at the spring game. All right, guys. I'll see you later. And our thanks again to Brandon for joining us uh, on the podcast once again. So it's pretty, actually a pretty busy time of year for him as we head down the stretch here. So, um, boy, I hope he's – boy, I can't tell you how, how much I hope he's right about Taco Fall sticking around. Don't you? Yeah, and I, I tend to agree with him. You know, it's funny because Chad Ford has come out with his, you know, kind of his draft board, you know, the ESPN NBL draft analyst. And he's got, you know, he, he finally mentioned Taco. He had he didn't even mention Taco at all, remotely at all, in the first round. He called him, and I'm paraphrasing what he said. He was kind of an intriguing second round pick prospect, prospect, which is what he is. And I think that's pretty. I think that's a, that's the best he's case scenario he's going to get. Probably going to be told that. And my thing is, I think if you're Taco, you can come back for another year and improve on that. So yeah. I, I, I would, I, I'm still maintaining it that he won't return, but. I also understand, and I think you understand this too, Jeff. A lot of times, if a lot of people are involved in the decision making, and it depends on what what they, you know, you you tell people and what you want to hear and what you want to know. So you never know. So, but I, I would be surprised, but I, I think he'll come back as well. It's like I said, I, if he does decide to go, I'll never begrudge a guy for deciding. You know, I'm going to try and you know, I'm going to I'm going to take my shot right now and see and see what I can do. And even if it's a second round pick, you know, that's. That's still generational money that he could that he could work himself into. Um, I do hope he comes back. I think one of the advantages that UCF has is the fact that Johnny Dawkins is their head coach and former yeah. NBA guy. You know, I think if it was someone else who what, who didn't have that that legitimacy with the next league, um, I think the situation might be entirely different. But um, but you know, I, I you know Johnny wouldn't steer him wrong. Um, and you know he comes back for one more year. He's getting coached by an NBA experienced coach, so um, I think that that works perfectly fine as far as UCF is concerned. All right, we're going to dance delicately now around uh, a couple of other sports here. Let's talk a little um, UCF baseball right now. The Knights are uh, in a bit of a slide heading into this weekend series with um, East Carolina. Uh, Knights at twenty four and eleven. And, you know, looking at the schedule, um, goodness me, Eric Lopez, they've lost four in a row, um, you know, coming off of that after they won that game against Stetson, they got swept by USF uh, and then lost to Florida Atlantic. Uh, our buddy Brian, uh, uh, Brian Murphy's got a little column up on blackandgoldbanneret.com, which you definitely want to check out uh, sort of post FAU, kind of where the team is right now, kind of in a little bit of a danger zone heading into the series against uh East Carolina, Eric. What do you? What have you? What did you see has been going wrong with this team so far? Well, I mean, look, it's a tough stretch. I mean, USF's very good. They and, lost you know, three look at those close games. games to USF: one run, one run, and two. Sure. Runs. And uh, you know, FAU is very good too. You're going to face some good teams. And look, this is still a roster from last year that didn't make the NCAA tournament. To suggest that everything was going to go smoothly, I think, was just kind of naive. So, you know, they've hit some hiccups. I mean, certainly. Uh, they've left some runners on base. Um, you know, their bullpen got used a lot in that USF series. I think hurt them a little bit. And, uh, you know, it's a learning deal. So we'll see what they do now. They, you know, it, it, they'll lose FAU, but now you got to go to conference to East Carolina. 
against the East Carolina team that was the preseason favorite uh, going into the season, a team that made the Super Regionals last year with head coach Cliff Godwin, and they're off to a slow start, a stunning slow start, uh, 0-6 so, in the league, So you know, going into the series. So I, that's going to be the you know, challenge, and I know people are concerned, and, oh, here we go again, another slide, and uh, look, I mean, it, it's definitely, con- you know, it's concerning and certainly understandable, but um, you know, this has been a weird year and college baseball, Jeff, is so it, you know, ever since they've kind of lowered the bats. Yeah, it's, it's so it's, much more of an even playing field that nobody really separates themselves anymore. I mean, I was reading the other day about Florida State's a bubble team for the NCAA <laughs> tournament because they've had the skids in the ACC and Miami's in danger of missing the NCAA tournament. No one would have um, thought no that when we saw, when we played them against Florida State, man. They were right. like world beaters against sure. us. Holy moly. Right. But but what I'm saying is the room for air is not that much in college baseball. So to to expect a team to go through a year and, and do very, you know, you're going to have some bumps and everybody can beat anybody in a given day. And I think that's what what, what it is. So especially in the American Conference, especially on the road, so I think you kind of have. I still think this has been a, a you know, th- there's a lot more positives than negatives. Um, and we just got to see how it plays out. But it, it, it certainly, you just, you know, as sports fans, I think we always, unfortunately, sometimes you treat the other sports like you do in football, where you like, you kind of have the highs and lows from a week to week basis. But in baseball, you really can't do that. Right. And I think that's sometimes where you get yourself in trouble. Oh, they lost a weekend series. They're swept. They're done. Oh, we're in trouble. Oh, we lost five in a row. Well, the I mean, season's that's over. <laughs> right. And I think that's common a lot. And, 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 and I've said, you know, and I've, and I've seen that too in softball, in fairness. I've started to see that from some of the fans and a lot of new fans that we have in softball, which we'll get into. Uh, you know, it's just, you can't treat baseball like you do football where it's a do or die every week and it's a one week season it's just man baseball there's just 56 you know 56 games plus conference tournament you're gonna have your peaks and valleys and i get it i get it that that people are kind of people don't trust the program because of what's happened the last four years and how they've gotten to good starts and they faded and i get it i get it what i would say is Based on what I've seen with the job that Greg Lovelady and his staff has done, considering these are not his players, and I don't think they're very talented. So I actually think they're in a good spot still, and let's see what happens. I, you know, you got to let it play out. And remember, it's the and you know this. You were at the conference tournament last year. This league, mm-hmm. top to bottom, it's everybody tight. can beat everybody. It, yeah. it really is. It really is. I don't think there's a dominant team in the league per se. But at the same time, I don't, you know, it, this is a tough league. I mean, it's a tough, tough league. Coming into the weekend, UConn's in first place in the American at 6-0, and and they're 19-11 and overall. Then you got Houston and Tulane at 4-2. Yeah. USF at 4-3, and Cincinnati 3-4, and UCF 2-4 and in the league. And USF, or excuse me, UCF at 23, or excuse me, 24-11 and overall. Memphis is behind them. They're 2-4 and in the league. Well, actually tied. But they're 20 and 13. They've won 20 games. East Carolina is 0 and 6 in the league. They're about to win 20 games. So, you know, everyone, the only team that's kind of middling right now, you know, overall, in terms of overall records, are Cincinnati, who's won three in a row, and, and they're 17 and 16 overall. And then Tulane is actually three games under 500 overall. Everybody else is hovering around 20 wins. And, you know, this is, this is going to be a tough, this is, boy, this is about as tight as I've ever seen it. 
in in the, ba- in the right, baseball, yeah. the American. And I think it's going to be like that all year. And let me add, I know fans don't want to hear this, and, and I get it. It's a rivalry. And let's give Mark Kingston some credit at USF. 28 I mean, and 6, of, man. They're, they're legit. They're a good yeah. team. They, they, and, you know, I taught, you know, when I was up there in Tampa last year, I was there last season when the, both softball and baseball played there. They had a lot of injuries, did USF, and they've got them mostly healthy. That's a good team. And Mark Kingston's a heck of a head coach. Uh, he was an assistant at Miami, a head coach at Illinois. Say he's going to win at USF. I know UCF fans don't want to hear that, but he's going to win. And and Greg Lovelady's going to win too. I think right. that I, I'll tell you what that was an exciting. I know the result was not the way UCF liked it. Let me let me just draw. I, I get it. But if you watch those games, if you follow, those are exciting. There was exciting games. It came down to the last at bat, and you know USF was fortunate. They won all three games, but. Um, you know, give them credit. You know, they held, they held serve, they swept, they they made enough a player two more in each game, and but they're a good team. It's not like USF's a, a, a joke there. I get it's a rivalry, so it gets you know the results get emphasized and and maybe um, highlighted more, especially with this trophy. So you know you lose three points or whatever in that scenario. But um, you know Kingston's got a good team there too. So let's not. It's you know it's not like UCF lost to a bad team is all I'm saying. Sometimes you got to tip your cap to the opponent whether you like it or not. And let's also get you know tip our cap to Greg Lovelady because you know they lost those three games by a combined total of four runs, and those are basically like what I like to call coin flip games. They can go either way. Didn't work Correct. out, but um, but yeah, I mean it's and there's still plenty of baseball uh, you know obviously left to left to be played here for UCF. As we head down the stretch, and Adam, by the way, I, I don't. I think it's if anybody's trying to judge Greg Lovelady or making decisions, or I think it's foolish. I, like, yeah, I mean, just stop it right now. The guy is midway through his first season. Just stop it with that. He, you know he, what I mean? None of these are his players. They're not of his players. Now, I do think this because of the success that Johnny Dawkins had in his first year, and the the first year that. Coach Abramson had at women's basketball, and even and Scott, Scott Frost. Frost. Yeah, I feel like now people just assume that well, Greg Lovelady should do the same thing, and I actually think he has to some extent. I mean, the pitching staff's a top ten coming into the weekend yeah. was you know it's been much better than it's been in the years. His bullpen's been much better than it's been in the last couple of years, but I feel like people just assume oh he's going to turn it around like everybody else turns it around, and you know that's not fair. Baseball, there's a lot more players. Uh, it's just it's just a unique deal. I, I like Greg Lovely. He's going to win here, and I think he's done a good job. His staff's done a good job. Uh, there are some flaws in this team. And Greg's, and by the way, Coach Lovelady has been the first to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. He's acknowledged that in post games where some of his, you know, their flaws have been exposed at times. And so I don't think he's hiding from that. I think, you know, so um, I would just – that would be the only other thing I would say about people is to kind of keep that in mind. And look, there's still – if they could turn things around, they they're in a position where they can make a regional. So um, that's my point. And and then if you make you know anything can happen in college baseball. So I would uh, I would just tell people like you know take a deep breath, exhale, <laughs> and uh, it's it's okay. UCF's it's okay. Got, UCF's got three this weekend uh, at East Carolina. Actually, as we're recording this, they're in extra innings of the first game. And oh by the way, before we go. Final, just in, UCF defeats East Carolina 8-7 to seven in 11 innings. They come back from down, what was this, Eric Lopez, 7-1 to one in the fourth, and the Knights come back and beat East Carolina in their first of three in extra innings. So a big comeback win for Greg Lovelady's guys. 
How about all you people about jumping ship? Huh? How about them people? You're, I told you. Well, that's a heck of a win. And maybe that's a turning point. I mean, they needed that win. Uh, yeah. You know, East Carolina's got some bullpen issues this year, and that kind of reared his ugly head. But again, credit to the team. They didn't give up. They were down seven to one. They got some power, you know, a couple of home runs to get back in the game and some big hits down the stretch there. So a big win for them to take the first game of that series and stop the bleeding a little bit. Ryland Thomas, I know you've been very high on him. Uh, big Love two RBI. Ryland Thomas, he's been good this year. Well, he's been you know been a bit of a slump lately, but he came out of it. Uh, got a big hit there. Um, and how about Bryce Tucker? Got out of a uh, a jam to, in the ninth bottom of the ninth to send the game to extra innings. Uh, that's a heck of a comeback for them to pull off. Bozeman, how about Bozeman? who had missed all that time with an injury at short with the go-ahead RBI in the 11th inning in a marathon game that went over four hours, I'm sure. But, man, to get back on that winning side of things after being trailing 7-1. to one. Yep. And Marsh, Kyle Marsh, Thomas with a home run in the game. Marsh, I've always been a fan of. He got him in within 7-3. to three. Uh, they, you know, Robbie Howe got knocked out in this game early, but that bullpen, four guys, Thompson, Ward, Williams, and Tucker really picked him up and finished off the game, which we mentioned earlier in this podcast. It's been way better than it's been in the last couple of years. So that's why I didn't really feel it was fair to compare this slide to the past years, because I think love lady's done a heck of a job with guys having roles in the bullpen and in the rotation. So heck of a win for that team. Uh, to on the road at a tough place at ECU to pick up that first game. We'll see what happens the rest of the weekend, but that's a big to kind of stop that slide and then maybe you know, can build on that. Cool. Let's flip over to softball, Eric. You and I were um, at uh, the first game of three in the War on I-4 series, UCF against USF, um, at the softball complex. Two to nothing win for UCF in game one of that series. Uh, and this is coming off of a weekend where UCF won uh, two out of three at Memphis. Uh, including putting up double figures in the uh, rubber game of the series. So uh, Aaliyah White was outstanding today. Uh, pitched probably, I think you said, it was her best game probably of the entire year against the against the USF team that, you know, let's be honest with you, they um, have come upon hard times because, I mean, a number of people have are, are not on the roster anymore that were earlier when they started the season. But uh, Jasmine Esparza with an RBI hit. Uh, Linnea Goodman with uh, an, with an RBI hit that provided UCF some insurance. And uh, Aaliyah, by the way, uh, went the distance, seven innings, three hits, no runs, walked three, struck out six. Um, outstanding performance by her. Um, and UCF uh, adds to their total in the uh, War on I-4 series. UCF, as of our recording in this podcast, uh, with a 38-18 lead over uh, USF. Remember, each sport gets... There's a total of six points up for grabs in each sport that both teams compete in. Now, how they determine who gets the points is depending upon, you know, how many times each team plays. Uh, softball in particular, they play only three times, so that's this weekend. And, um, and so there's two points at stake for every game. Um, you know, there's obviously all kinds of quirky things with, you know, track and field and whatnot. But, um, but you know, hey, so far, good start against USF. Aaliyah White, man, she has been the innings eater this year. And uh, even though, you know, don't let the record fool you, she's 15 and 11 on the season. But um, she seems to be getting a little bit better as the season goes on, Eric. She is. And uh, you mentioned this was, I think, the best performance I've seen her pitch in person at home. She's I had think some the good ones. Other... She, I did some good ones, but either, you know, didn't get the result or I, I think when you consider the fact 
it's a game that's nationally televised on ESPNU. Yep. And tr- and trust me, the players know. I mean, they can they downplay it, but they know. So I mean, you can't avoid it. I mean, you see the cameras everywhere on the field. So they they're aware. So you're facing you're 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 on national television on ESPNU. You're facing your biggest your in-state rival, your big rival in the conference, your big rival in general, USF, as you mentioned. Who, by the way, Aaliyah White from the Lando Lakes area played high school ball in Tampa. So I, mm-hmm. I think she's aware of that program. And and, and I know from history, because this ain't she ain't the first UCF pitcher to come from Tampa area. They they uh, they usually circle, I can tell you from past knowledge and history, they usually circle that game. Um and USF has been coming, they're coming in playing very well. They got a good lineup. And she just really was consistent throughout. And she, and one of the issues she's had this year at times, and then you see this with young pitchers, is the third time around in a batting order, so maybe she gets worn down a little bit. Maybe the other team makes a judge, you know, that something goes everybody, wrong. Though. Absolutely. Yeah. But that didn't happen in, in this game. Uh, she was fantastic. She got stronger. And I, and, and watching her in person, I felt for the first time there was a little that not uh, swaggers. I don't know if that's the right proper word, but that confidence that you like to see from those pit, the great pitchers have when they're really in control and in the circle that 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 kind of like I, I, I feel good here. I belong here. I'm confident there. And it takes a while. And I thought she just felt in command and uh, her change up, you know, is working. A uh, couple of notes. She's the first UCF pitcher to beat USF in her first career start against USF since Allison Kime did it as a sophomore mm-hmm. in 2006 in Tampa. She is the first UCF pitcher to shut out. Uh, she's the second pitcher, excuse me, to shut out USF in the history of the rivalry. Uh, Shelby Turnier did it last year in game one of that series in Tampa. She was a senior. Um, so my point is, I mean, she, that's a pretty impressive feat to do in your first start against your in-state rival in a big conference series. This is a big conference series from a standing standpoint on national television. And she wasn't phased and she wasn't phased. And, 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 you know, obviously we got a lot of softball to go this year. Who knows what's going to happen? But I think the exciting thing about it that I will take about that is, you know, that going into next year and going into the future, you've got your number one. She yep. is a number one caliber pitcher that can win big games. And I think she's showing that. And I think she's maturing and she's making progress. And I think that's the exciting thing with this young team. You're seeing some of the girls growing up before your very own eyes. And there's always that moment. And I think that was a big one for her. I mean, from a confidence standpoint, and she needed to be good because USF was very good, too. It was actually a great pitching game. I was surprised because both teams this year have been up and down with their pitching. So you, I thought it would be more of a six, four, seven, five game. That's kind of, those have been the type of games. I mean, going back to the UCF series at Memphis, that's what it was, a 10-6 game in that Sunday. And you're thinking, well, maybe they're going to get some of that, at least not for this game. And I thought uh, defensively they were good behind her, and I thought she was good, and she got stronger as the game went on, which was a positive sign. So a lot of positives, credit to her. And I thought it was credit to UCF for jumping out early with a one run in the first, and they added an insurance run, which I thought was pivotal in that sixth inning to make mm-hmm. it 2 nothing. And uh, they still left a lot of runners on base, which is a concern. That's been a bugaboo. Uh, but, you know, it's a big win. It's a rivalry game. I mean, look, it, you just that it is what it is. It's a big, it's always exciting to get those type of wins. And but a good step for her on that. And, and, and good for this program, for the exposure uh, ESPNU. They were there last year and 
it's funny, Jeff. I, I can tell you this because I actually I just finished watching the DVR because I DVR'd the game. And you know, one of the advantages is UCF uh, earlier this year went to Mary Nutter up in uh, Palm Springs. Yeah, that's the tournament that ESPN a lot of their will go to those two weeks. They have a two week tournament in Mary Nutter, uh, two separate weekends. ESPN goes there and interviews all the marquee teams because all the marquee teams play in Mary Nutter. So they interview all the teams there and they do their action photos. So if you watch an ESPN broadcast, for example, of a softball game, you'll see like these action shots from players and coaches, right? Like they'll say, well, coming up in the fourth inning, Tim Walton will join us and you'll show a photo of Tim Walton with a, you know, serious facial or whatever. And the same thing with a player coming up to the plate. So, so, and it was cool to see that they did that in the UCF USF telecast, like coming up, you know, they, uh, they mentioned Pam Ward who did the game with Sherry Kemp uh, mentioned coming up. We'll talk to head coach Renee Lourdes Gillespie. And there's an action shot of coach Gillespie right there at the yeah. UCF logo. And I, and to me, it's just, it's just, I know it's a dorky thing coming out of me, but it's just so cool to see that. You know, I have no idea how much that means it shows that you're a big time program. You, you, you know, that's another example of how much this program has grown that ESPN is using action shots of you and other players like Courtney Rowe. They did the same thing last year when they played at USF. And so it, that's kind of the fun thing about it is that when you play in these things that, that people notice. And uh, I think that's always a big plus. And I guarantee you, and I know this, I mean, recruits are watching that game. So they now know more about UCF and kids that are already verbally committed are going to be excited, even more excited and stuff like that. And I think that's the message is you go to UCF, you can play in big games. You're going to be showcased, you know. You don't have to go to an SEC school or Pac-12 to get noticed. You can come to UCF and get noticed. So I think there's a lot of big takeaways from this game, not only on the field, but off the field because of the game being nationally televised. So we got two more games left in this series. So, so oh, by two, the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and, you know, and, you, yeah, and you're right. I mean, it was good that, that, you know, you get the national TV exposure. Wish they could see the whole series. But um, two more games in the series still. Remember, two points at stake in each game for the um, War on I-4 trophy. Right. Uh, we're recording this Thursday night. 5.30 Friday, April 14th is game number two. Uh, and then Saturday, 1 p.m. Is, uh, is the final game. And then the schedule looks like this the rest of the way. Next Wednesday, the Knights are at Florida in Gainesville. Home for UConn for three, and that's going to wrap up the home schedule for UCF softball. Um, uh, not next weekend, but the following weekend so april 28th 29th and 30th home for a three-game set against uconn and then it's four games on the road and then it's tournament time because they get that that last game but or, or that or the the first of that final four game stretch is going to be in daytona against bethune cookman on uh, wednesday may the third so that game is going to be um that game that game is basically their last game in the state of florida until uh conference tournament time they finish up the season Early May against Tulsa, and then it's American Athletic Conference time. So the schedule's, by get, the way, schedule's getting hot right now, Eric Lopez. No question. And by the way, that first game of that Tulsa series will be on the American Digital Network. So, yes. uh, um, you know, that'll be showcased there. You can watch that. And, of course, the tournament's in Greenville. So a lot of time, you know, you hope that maybe the team and, – and we haven't even discussed it. Maybe the play of the year in UCF athletics, maybe, and certainly one of the plays of the year in college softball happened with UCF, the turning point. On Sunday in the win against Memphis, everybody's seen it on social that's media. That's right. By I can't believe I haven't mentioned this, but yeah, go well, ahead. Well, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. The first ever in program history triple play. Now I'm in amazed a, by that. By the way, that is the first ever triple play in program history. Yep. 
Yeah, and, and and it's one of the most amazing things when you for people that didn't follow the game, it was a wild game. UCF and Memphis was back. You know, UCF led ten to three at one point. Memphis made a run and made it ten to six. And you know, Demera Beijing, the freshman out of Canada, was you know in relief in the seventh, and Memphis got the first two on, and then they had to bring back Aaliyah White in the ball game, and she I think she left a walk in the other hitter, or it wasn't a single. I don't recall. So nonetheless, it's the bases loaded and nobody out in the bottom of the seventh at a 10-6 game. And you're and I'm thinking, I'll be honest, I'm thinking to myself, oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. This uh, you know, Here this we could, go. This thing, <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Oh boy. And I'm and I'm following this on the tracker. Okay. I'm following this on the tracker. And the next thing, you know, and I'm holding my breath. I'm like, God, we're oh God, no. Because, you know, let's be honest, this team's had some rough innings uh this year. So you're you're just you're very concerned. And the next thing I see is the tracker goes. The game's over. <laughs> three three outs in play, and I'm like, well, "How is that humanly possible? That couldn't have happened." What are you talking? And I thought the person screwed up. Oh, it must have been a glare. It's a gl- it's a glitch. And then uh, I went to UCF underscore softball, and they confirmed it. A triple play. Yeah. And I'm like, "How is that humanly possible?" Made and, number and, eight on the Sports Center top ten that night. Yeah, it should have been higher, and it was like number three on the ESPNW top ten list That's for right. all the women athletics. And what it was was, and it was Memphis's like best hitter, I think. Lindsey Crowdis was at the plate. She had a fly ball to shallow center. Megan Greenwell makes the catch, throws it to home plate, perfect throw. Cassidy Brewer, the catcher, tags the runner at third at home plate for the second out of the inning. Then she throws a bullet to third base. Courtney Roden makes the tag. The runner that was going from second to third gets tagged out. Game ends on a triple play. That's how they won the series and won that game. And maybe – could be the turning point, you know, when you look back, depending on how this team does the rest of the year, because uh, just, you know, in talking to people, I, I've never, it was like the most exciting moment. And you know, this from players, I mean, they, 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 they were certainly fired up. I mean, that was a, that was probably one of the best flights that uh, a lot of those players and coaches have had in a, you know, in a long time uh, ever. When you consider you win it on a triple play, what a rush that is. And then to find out you made top 10 sports center is incredible. And I think they're a little more confident. You know, that, that's a huge boost, a credit to their defense, a credit to the staff uh, for working on that. That doesn't happen by accident. There's communication going on, and they work on that in practice in the fall and the spring, and it paid off. And uh, what a way to win a series, a very good scrappy Memphis team to win two out of three on the road. And now you start this USF series, and who knows what could lead, what that could lead to. We'll link to that play, by the way, in the show notes. And I was surprised to see, like, there were some – UCF fans apparently at Memphis who were, who yeah. were celebrating the end of that game on the video is pretty amazing. That was yeah, it was a great image. A lot. I mean, our you know the fans. I mean, UCF softball fans travel across the board. A lot of families uh, from areas. I mean, they just they they make a weekends out of it, just like a lot of football fans do. I mean, I've yeah. always compared this, Jeff. When it comes to women's sports, I've compared softball to cut to football in that a lot of fan the softball fans playing around that weekend they make trips and they pick rich trips to go to they're very passionate maybe irrational uh <laughs> you know uh trust me you have no idea if you only knew like the direct messages i get from fans after like you know, a loss you know like what's what's going on i'm not used to this and you know look it's a, and and i the way i take it is i i think it's a compliment to the program the fact that you know, when a team loses, you know, if won so much like they have in the last handful of years, I mean, really the entire, uh, you know, 12, you know, whatever, how many years, the 16 years in the program, but more specifically in the last handful of years, the way they've won, I think people get spoiled. So the fact that people are now to the point where 
their concern and they're like, why is this not working? Why are they struggling? This <laughs> or that um, is great because I know I've done this for 10 years and I remember, you know, there'd be times it's, you know, that nobody even noticed we were playing. So now, now not only are people noticing we're playing, but they're questioning why we're not winning every game or why are we not pitching very well, especially with the tradition we have in pitching, pitching that, oh, that's always a question that I get asked about, like when somebody doesn't pitch well. But that's as, okay. As though you know all the answers. <laughs> Absolutely. I am the answer. I, I am I am the ear. I, I have all the answers for everybody. And I, I, I can solve everybody's mysteries, I guess. I've, it's funny you mention that because everybody assumes that. Fans, I mean, it's always interesting. But no, it's great. And I I, I don't discourage it. I don't, let me get to, I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like I, I, I'm, I'm, I welcome it. I'm all for, uh, talking softball and communicating and uh, even if you're frustrated I get it and that's great I, I want the excitement and people being passionate about the team and I think that's all positives and uh, hopefully you know, like I said I uh, it's been an interesting up and down year but it's a young group as I've told people in messages listen to you and, you're a uh, team player what well, is it's true <laughs> I mean you gotta you know you try to take it with a grain of salt and you have to understand what's going on but that was an amazing play and uh, to me uh, Jeff, I know the year is not over yet, but I can't think of a UCF play in any sport that's happened this year that would top that play. Can you? Mm, th- that Adrian Killens run back against East Carolina when he went basically 110 yards in like three seconds, that's about as close as I can come up with. Sure. That's a good one. I'll put that. I'll, I'm, I'm coming in with that one. What are you coming in with? You're going to put that one number one, or are you putting that like, I'm putting the triple play number one. Okay. That doesn't happen. I mean, Adrian Kelly, yeah, I mean, fair point. hopefully that happens more often. Hopefully. Right. Uh, he's capable of that. I've never seen a triple play, to your point, uh, in person in any sport. So um, that's pretty okay. remarkable. You know, that that's a, and to make top 10 sports center is pretty impressive. That's true, uh, too. I, and to me, I'll, I'll say, I'll, I'll, I'll go with, in fact, I'll go a step further on this. I think to softball, that's kind of like the Brashad Perriman Hail Mary in Greenville. It, now, now I still think the Perriman one's bigger. It's more memorable because it won a conference title. I was going to so say, would, so Sam McCloskey might have something to say about that. Correct. Well, but but what I'm saying is it's just the most, like, craziest, remarkable, you know, play. Like, it's one thing to win it a championship, but to win it, like, in a Hail Mary. Like, what are the odds? You know, like, what are the odds? Right? <laughs> like, that was a crazy play. And a, to win a game on a tr- game-ending triple play is crazy. Obviously, yes. The McCloskey home run against Tulsa to win the championship, the most memorable moment or memorable hit. Uh, but we've seen walk-off home runs. We've seen walk-off hits. I'm talking about the abnormal, like, crazy play. I'm not talking about the most important play. I'm talking about the wackiest, like, where you still, like, you think about it. You're like, how the heck did that happen type of moment. You know what I mean? So that that's what I meant more by that. Uh, the Perriman one, because every no, I'm serious. Every time I see the Perriman play, I still kind of like I can't believe that happened. Right. And we've gone going on three years on that, yeah. and I feel like I'm going to be the same way three years from now. Every time I see that triple play, I'm like, how the heck did that happen? <laughs> well, I'm glad I got on Sports Center Top Ten. That was that was actually yes. pretty cool, and a good job by, well, by Nate and the social media yes. staff also well, uh, by yes. getting that up there um, as well, and, and getting well, getting ESPN's attention on it. Um, yes. Yeah, in particular, I think that was really a big win. And a credit to Memphis, because that yes. was a Memphis video broadcast, as you know, uh, working in video. So obviously, Nate, I'm guessing, I haven't talked to him about it, but obviously in that situation, you got to go through the video department for approval. So I and I, I think credit to Memphis for allowing that to be shown. 
even though it was a play at their team's expense. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Because as you know, I mean, uh, other I don't know how many other other video schools maybe don't do that because it went against them, but right. they allowed it. And and so credit to all parties uh, to make that work and uh, and and to and as a result get an ESPN top ten. I don't know if Memphis really appreciates, uh, but but with good class sportsmanship and class on both sides. Class folk over at Memphis. All right. Hey, real yeah, quick, as, real quick before we wrap up. Um, update on golf. Women's golf is going to be in the American Athletic Conference Championships uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday in Palm Coast. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Men's golf uh, is at the Boilermaker Invitational this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, West Lafayette, Indiana, before they head to their American Athletic Conference Championship down in Palm Harbor. Tennis. I'm going to start with the women. Ladies first. They've got a Saturday match at the USTA National Campus against USF. Um, which is their final regular season match before the American Championships, which are coming this Wednesday on April the 19th at Lake Noda. And that brings us to men's tennis, which uh, has finished the regular season uh, with uh, two wins against East Tennessee State and UNC Wilmington in Johnson City, Tennessee. Uh, And they uh, actually, a week from the day that we're recording this, Thursday, April the 20th, they will start their run in the American Championships, and they come in at ranked number 30 in the ITA Oracle College Tennis Rankings, uh, just ahead of Minnesota and Ole Miss and Florida State, uh, and just behind the likes of Wisconsin, Illinois, Tulane, and USF. USF's at 26. Um, John Roddick's folks, just they, they these guys just keep climbing the rankings. Um and uh, let's see what uh, Corey Lovett and Danny Kurzeman uh, are in the latest double rankings at number 79 in the country. Um, Lovett is number uh, 47 uh, in the singles, which is uh, which is pretty impressive in and of itself. Uh, so, hey, number 30 in the uh, number 30 going into the conference tournament, Eric, that's a good place to be if you're John Roddick's guys, aren't you? Isn't it? Absolutely. The American Conference turn- Tennis Tournament, which, by the way, will be at Lake Nona at the USTA Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, very significant. You could speak better to this because you've covered the tennis program a lot more frequent than I did back when you were working at UCF and a lot longer. Uh, even back when you were a student, I believe you did some tennis matches, I think, back in the old uh, – what was it? UCF TV days? Uh, some coverage? I, and also I with, never did tennis. Youth. I never did tennis on UCF TV, but when I was there uh, mm-hmm. at the video department, boy, I shot myself a lot of tennis on video. And uh, there you go. And and so yeah, but you know, we had some good teams. Um, we didn't. We haven't had teams that have been this good and are getting better. And that's the thing. And what's ama- And the amazing thing, he's done this in his first year. And I know that. And this is not going to. Some people are going to snicker at this comment. And because, oh, it's meant, well, it's men's college tennis and all this. John Roddick might be the best coach on campus, period, in any sport that they have right now. What he's done already at UCF, like I told you when we, I interviewed him in the fall. And I told you that I think he's going to lead UCF to the promised land. I didn't think he would lead him to the NCAA tournament possibly this year. I thought it would take him a year. Uh, you know, and he told me in the interview in the fall that he actually liked the team he had, that he got some transfers and things like that. If he can get UCF not only I mean, to the NCAA tournament in year one, think about what he could do in the years to come with that USTA center. I will. I said it in the fall. 
and I think I'm going to say it again. I think John Roddick, eventually, by the time his run at UCF is over, is going to lead that tennis program, not only to the NCAA tournament on a frequent basis, but I think he's going to lead him to a national championship. Boy. I think he's that good. I think he's remarkable. Well, I and I think what right. he's, Oh, man, what, that would be something. I mean, I mean, I'm blown away by what he's done. I'm blown away. I, I, I don't remember tennis being this relevant. And what he's done is amazing. And again, I did it in the fall, and I'm going to do it again. And the next time I see Danny White, I'm going to tell him, a heck of a job with that tennis program. A heck of a job. Making the hire, making the commitment. Man, I'm just blown away. If he can pull this off, and who knows? You know, Obviously, we got the conference tournament to go. We'll see how they do that. We'll probably get into that more next week. But unbelievable. I'm just blown away by it. And you could speak better to it because you've been around it a lot longer, obviously more frequent than I have. But just from afar, I'm just in, in awe. I mean, they're ahead of Florida State in the rankings in yeah. tennis. I don't know if people are aware of that. Um, you know, and I've talked to some sources that follow this stuff more closely than I do. Um, you know, the way it's going, you know, if they can maintain that 30 ranking and, you know, probably make a you know nice run in the conference tournament, which they're capable of. Uh, they'll probably go to an NCAAs, maybe go to Florida if Florida hosts. Florida is like a 16th seed, mm-hmm. if you know. Uh, right now, ranking. I yeah, right say. now they're ranked 16th. Florida is. They could be in play for Florida. They could be in play for a program that you know very well, Georgia. Georgia. Yep, Georgia's 11th right be, now. Which would that would be a, some storyline? Uh, so it's just kind of wild. I believe the selection show is May 9th, from what I was told. But for him to pull this off is remarkable. And everything that we heard is true. I mean, this was this was a guy that led Oklahoma the national championship runner up the last couple of years. I mean, he is one of the top coaches in that sport. And uh, boy, an immediate impact at UCF. And I think you have to believe, Jeff, that the coaches in this state, the college coaches in this state, they won't mention it publicly. They have to be very concerned. They are about sweating. What yeah, they are right. sweating bullets right now with what John Roddick has done. And one of them, I think, that is certainly sweating bullets is the guys over at USF who've been quite good. And they got a really good program there as well. Very yeah. good program. But they're right now, they're the top team from the American in the ITA rankings at 26. Tulane is right behind them at 27. Them. Right. UCF did beat USF. And, uh, and UCF right now is at 30. Um, Memphis is at 34. SMU is at 36. So that gives you an idea of the kind of the competition that's taking place in the American right now as we, as the Knights get ready to head to the um, conference championship, which will be on their home turf at the USTA uh, National Tennis Center down by uh, Lake Nona. All right, let's wrap this thing up, Lopez. What do you got working on this week? Other than, of well, course, UCF honest. softball, which we will both be at to, uh, on Friday, and then you will be there at Saturday, right? I will. I will call the games back on the uh, air Friday. And Saturday, five, Friday, 5.30 on UCF Nice TV, Saturday at 1 o'clock Eastern. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, actually, it's funny. I got softball next weekend, but in Tampa, I'll be on the American Digital Network, Memphis, and USF. So I'll be seeing a lot of USF softball right. in the next week. <laughs> uh, it's just kind of weird how that works out. But, um, yeah, I mean, doing a lot of softball in, in between now and then, that's really kind of what's going to occupy things. And, uh you know, just try to kind of see where that season goes. You can follow me on Eric Lopez Elo for all the latest developments. And one of the things I will also uh, have on the podcast next weekend, as well as on the site, and uh, I'll post it on Twitter as well as the numbers, the television numbers for that softball game and see how it did 
uh, compared to last year's game. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it did very well. It did very strong. Now, last year was a Sunday game, so it did big numbers. This being a Thursday game, it probably won't be as big because it's a Thursday. But uh, nonetheless, should be interesting to see how they do on uh, on the ESPN U network there, and uh, certainly they were. I know they were big numbers in Orlando last year, and I would expect that to be the case again. Uh, I would assume on Thursday. So uh, cool. look for that in the next week. All right, Elo, and I'll be of course at UCF and USF on uh, uh, Friday as well, and keeping an eye on things at UCF underscore Banneret. You can follow Eric, of course, at Eric Lopez Elo, myself at Jeff underscore Sharon. Don't forget to check out Brian Murphy, who's got a baseball column up. Uh, right now on blackandgoldbanneret.com. You can hit us up there, as well as on our Facebook. Just search for Black and Gold Banneret. And uh, listen to this podcast. Uh, subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. All right, Lopez, thanks again, brother. No problem, buddy. And thanks to you for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast.